0: I've got my professional mic up, so just make it tourist good. Oh, it looks nice.
1: it looks better than ours. It's gonna be the first ever podcast where the hosts mic sounds shittier than the guests.
0: Yeah, I like to sort of do like dick measuring contest with the mic at the top of the show to get it off on the right, you know, right energy. That's funny
2: yes. because we were just doing a cold open where we were measuring our dicks. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, you yeah. just
1: came in, and we were kind of, we were. It's actually,
2: Stephen, our our friendship is based on the fact that we have the exact same size penis.
1: I don't know. I think it's I think it's kind of like a twin thing. Where you know how some twins are like, actually, I was born just a few seconds early. I think mine yeah. is a little bit. I think mine's like a little bit. Bigger. His
2: umbilical cord wrapped around my neck when I was in the womb. <laughs> <laughs> we made it for you,
1: a podcast about Tom Cruise. We made it for you, a podcast about Tom Cruise. We made it for you, a podcast about Tom Cruise. We made it for you, a podcast about Tom Cruise. What are you drinking there? Uh, I made myself an old fashioned because I felt like it was a little more, a little more numini, a little more, you know, barroom pool hall kind of energy.
2: I am drinking a cup of marinara sauce, which I thought was very numini. Marinara. What are you drinking? Sean, water? Is that a glass of water? I've got, I've got seltzer like a fucking asshole. <laughs> You're allowed to have a, a regular adult drink if you want to, but that's okay. I,
0: I know, it, you know, I'm, I'm gonna make something at some point. I wasn't ready to get. Started quite yet because I I'm in that phase of my life where I start to like forget what the fuck I'm talking about as soon as I start like having a drink or hit a joint you know right, just fading yeah. off in the middle of conversation so I want to start off on a good note yeah go from there I need to make sure like everything was being recorded my phone was on silent
1: that's good we are um, not as professional as you and so we're just uh- yeah
2: we're actually hoping you'll give us a little bit of a bump as far as our. <laughs> Uh, reputation goes because so far we're just doing okay.
0: What's your barometer? I think it's amazing. I think there are a couple of things that are amazing about this. Number one, I think it's amazing that you have a show in the first place. Number two, I think it's funny that it's dedicated to a person who is like, it, it blows my mind how critically undervalued this subject is not even talking about the show and and not understanding if we are on the physical show right now but to be I'm,
1: clear the the show is critically undervalued correct that's what you're saying our podcast is critically undervalued
0: <laughs> well it, that's definitely true but uh, by okay. dint of being about somebody who like just simply does not get paid enough attention to like that's an insane thing to say about a guy who's like made some of the most successful films in the world but it
2: really is true we always talk about like, I think that might have something to do with, uh, you know, War of the Worlds press tour. I think that really took a, a, a big chunk out of him as far as his reputation in the world goes. Uh, we haven't gotten there yet in the podcast. Yeah, but we're, yeah always we're always
1: talking. alluding to that kind of like public persona combustion sort of. That's that the point at- when
2: he stops working with tours and he stops having sex in films and he just becomes focused on making like the biggest movies possible.
0: I see two other
1: things that are there. Wait, before I say this, Steven, so nice to meet you. Oh yeah, nice to meet you We have not met each other, right?
2: No. So let me, I'll take this opportunity to introduce Sean. This is, this is Sean Malin, who um, I first met uh, when my film premiered at South by Southwest 2017. Um, I had the premiere, I went to bed, woke up, hung over. I had a review from uh, Roger Ebert.com that called me an amateur and it was about the worst day of my entire life. I remember Steve and I went out and like I was, we were walking around and I just felt like I wanted to jump off a bridge. I went home took a nap and I woke up and I had a second review which was from Sean Malin for The Chronicle and it was very pleasant and very nice. So Sean is the only uh, real critic who was at all kind to Redwood Freak and after the festival I reached out to him I was like hey I don't know if Filmmakers and critics are allowed to be friends, but like, you know, I love anybody who says good things about me. So uh, we sort of have made a friendship. But Sean is a, he's a writer. He used to write for the Chronicle. He writes the Start Here column for New York Magazine and writes about culture and dead people for New York Times. And then Sean, I want to ask you about that specifically because uh, the dead people thing.
0: Yeah, well... That's a coded way of saying that I write about, I write obituaries for the New York Times, which is a whole other different kind of like culture writing because you get contracted to, technically, you're not like a staff writer in the sense that you don't assign stories about obituaries. And I also don't, you can't just grab, but I'm assigned on a regular basis obits both for people who are dead or about to die. And primarily what I've written so far are pre written obits, people who are going to die and they're expecting them to. And, you know, it's in the interest of the newspaper. I never thought about this until I received these assignments, but it's in the interest of the newspaper, be the first people out the gate with a published obituary. So for notables, they'll, they have a list, they have a database that keeps, it's a separate database from the rest of the newspaper and they keep a database of pre-written obituaries kind of locked and loaded ready to go and I contribute to that pool over and over.
2: Have any of your obituaries been published? Have they died yet?
0: No, never. I, I, it, it's crazy. I, not with the Times. I wrote an obituary for Paste for Jonathan Demi and I wrote one for um, okay. the New York Post for Decider for Luke Perry which was a really uh, interesting one. I really respected him and I think I was the only person out the gate with like a, a critically positive obituary about his career. Not just like, oh, he influenced TV, but like, I respect this person's
1: craft. Right. Have you always lived in Austin and, and doing the work for like the New York Times and stuff? Or did you live elsewhere and make like...
0: Yeah, well, I, I cold pitched them. I mean, okay, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I started as a critic on TV. I, I started as a YouTube critic, actually, in high school. I don't know if you remember in like, the early days of youtube when you know there was comedy and there was like esoteric like weird videos that were you know it probably should never have been like had seen the light of day on youtube you know yeah. some of this stuff wound up in parker's movie like horrifying imagery that like a human shouldn't be able to just find
1: right um, like Im- images of parker
0: <laughs> and yeah pictures of parker yeah one thing that it was very well for was like people who wanted to do like armchair film criticism. And I started with a partner in 2005 doing that or 2006. And we, we got videos on, we got asked to submit videos for the Rotten Tomatoes show, which was on current TV Al Gore's network. Cool. And we'd get paid a hundred bucks if it, if it aired, they wouldn't tell us if it was going to be on TV. Every time it got on, they'd send us a t-shirt. So I wound up with like six Rotten Tomatoes t-shirts And I was like a Rotten Tomatoes approved critic at like 15 and had had like six TV credits before I went to college. And at that time I started writing um, and I started writing about like not just film, but like film, TV, video games, like media, mixed media. And by the time I was out of college, I had stuff both published and televised some like public access stuff in San Francisco where I was at school around then is when I started cold pitching because I was going to grad school and I needed to like make a living that way. Mm-hmm. I was working in like archival research for film and TV. And then I just started uh, cold pitching first. I cold pitched to you know the Chronicle and I got a staff job there in 2016 and that didn't even really end. It just sort of faded away. And around the time that it faded away, uh, I started cold pitching and have not lived where I've worked in many years. Uh, gotcha. You know, I wrote for LA Weekly while I was still living in Austin. I wrote for the New York Times while living in LA. Now I'm in between Austin and LA and write for places all over, all including over. in New York.
2: So, uh, well, you mentioned armchair film criticism. I think that's kind of become the mainstay of film criticism. Like it's sort of, that is what. Definitely.
1: I mean, that's like it- Gave birth to Letterbox, basically, I feel yeah, like. So, yeah, so we have you him. to blame. Yeah, um, uh, somebody
0: said that to me in grad well, he school. He was a young years man, ago. he
1: was a young man.
0: In grad school, a peer of mine said, you represent everything that's wrong with, like, your <laughs> intran- French intellectual <laughs> film criticism. Jesus. Jesus.
2: Do you remember who it was? What are they doing now? Yeah, I,
0: I do. I'm not going to name him. because Find he, the guy, like, get him. There, so I think maybe there is actual animosity there. I thought we were cool. Before or after he said that, before, like, right.
1: long after, for years after. I thought he was just ribbing me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he says one of the most hurtful things ever, and and he's just like, oh, yeah, that guy, he's just he's just goofing off, you know, he's just goofing around. Don't That's know. actually,
2: uh, my friendship with Steven is like that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he the, says but the some thing really about, mean like, things.
0: Grad school and mean comments like that is that sometimes you, like, feel like you can prove yourself against that person. Like I never felt like I owed him anything, but like I was in a film studies program. I got a master's in media studies. Like I know what I'm talking about. I know how to make a film. I, I am an expert on movies in the same sense that like a plumber is an expert on plumbing. Like I've been doing it my whole life, you know, like 17 years of work in this field, helping people consulting on, so many movies and tv shows and whatever and at a certain point you just feel like i don't need to prove anything and so you just take it it just is like water off the back of a duck it like it doesn't hurt you just think of it as like well this guy thinks being a phd makes you smart
1: right right well you certainly don't need to prove anything because you're here with us on one of the most popular podcasts sweeping the nation about the great movie star tom cruise
2: I'm going to use that as a transition, so I couldn't help but think about watching this movie, Martin Scorsese's age, and one day he will pass. I always ask Stephen, like, he would be her about Bob Dylan or Scorsese passing, but I think Scorsese's still making the good art. I still want to see oh, him.
1: Bob Dylan is still making the good art. Hey, don't, don't. I'm a Dylan
0: apologist here. I think he's he's amazing still. And Oh, yeah. And honestly, Parker, I just, two weeks ago, with my therapist, we were talking about, like, death, because in Austin, I go for a walk every morning and in Austin, like, it's, it's fight to the death to make it home without being killed by like a driver on the road. And we got into a conversation where she was like, who would be like the person whose death would most affect you? And I was like, oh, you know, my mom, my dad. And she was like, no, really? And I was like, well, probably Bob Dylan. (laughs) Like, I think that's the one that would really just like, I can't recover from this. He's gone.
1: That one, that one, and honestly, Scorsese are two that I think about a lot. And like when I think about it, I'm even like, okay, like I'm starting to like well up a little bit. It, those two, those two would really give me. And uh, and then you know, uh, you know, to keep it on on point, I think whenever it does happen, Tom would would really move me. Tom, Tom Cruise is dead. Yeah, Cruise isn't dying. No, he's, I know. Well, if he, when is, he he's dies, gonna...
2: it'll be on camera. Yeah,
1: it'll be on camera. Exactly. That, right. right. Exactly that,
0: right. That, I I have thought about that. Of like. I do think if he really wants to be like the greatest movie star of all time, it should be he should Houdini it like, you know, maybe intentionally almost like screw one up, maybe in the production of the next movie. Yeah, the whole
2: film is in the can, the last stunt. Yeah, it would seal the deal.
1: Dead Reckoning part two, he chooses to die at the age, like (laughs) on purpose at the age of 61 or
2: something. (laughs) 61, which is how old Paul Newman is in The Color of Money. And like, Oh yeah. Right. Watching different part one. I'm like, that dude looks, he's too old. to be doing this shit. And it is interesting. He's not acting like he's Paul Newman's age. He doesn't think that for a minute, but he is the hair dye. Yeah. You chose this movie. You reached out to me and you're like, yes, I want to do color of money. Uh, What was it about this film of all the TC films that landed you on this one?
0: Well, first of all, thank you for taking me up on that offer because I have, I have a connection to this film that, you know, I love, I love Scorsese, and I love other films that he's made other than this one. But with Cruise, it was introduced to me in film school. And the way that it was introduced is like, this is when he truly went from being like the second fiddle guy to being like the thing that you're going for. It's the reason that we're coming to cinemas like for him. And, and you know, the fact that it happened at the same time as Legend and Legend is so inferior and and also feels sort of like, a prelude to this, in some ways, I find really fascinating. I I love to watch the film where a person just like explodes off the screen. There's something very dynamic about that experience. I've had that experience with like, with like Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like watching Capote, where you're just like, oh. Jesus Christ like I, I don't even know how to like put my finger on what this is there's just something ephemeral about performance in that way and to me it's the first time that I really felt I think attracted to Cruz as a movie star I've always like liked him but really I'd only watched casually like I'd seen War of the Worlds as a teenager and I'd seen Minority Report and I maybe Jerry Maguire which I don't care for I don't think I'd seen Magnolia yet, but I'd seen I'd seen a few movies that were big movies that he was in and they didn't really strike me. But Color Money is the one where I just it filled in the whole picture as to like, well, I can understand why the entire world would like this person to be on their screens.
2: That's so interesting because I was watching it and I'm I still think like this is still I think this is Paul Newman's movie. I think that Tom's character's movie is like a complete dipshit. Yeah. Yes. It's amazing that he could be so cool. You know two movies prior and so fucking dumb and so uncool in this movie
1: well well and and top gun is the same fucking year so yeah, it's like exactly, it's
2: exactly top gun yeah
1: like scorsese and everybody was talking about how like you know top gun hadn't come out they just cast tom cruise basically kind of based off risky right. business it's it's funny how also that he he shot top gun first and he looks so much younger in this somehow and it's
2: Purely his hair. His he's got the Beavis and Butthead haircut. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's so bizarre. But uh, like the one-two punch of, of Top Gun and Color of Money coming out in the same year just fully announce him. And it announces him in both of the lanes that he's essentially going to occupy for the next like 20 years until 2005 when he kind of gives up the prestigey kind of movies and just go and just leans fully into like Tom Cruise action movie star. But But it's... Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, Parker. I think it, it is still very much Newman's. But to me, that's like the movie. power.
0: Like, it's the power of yeah. the scene steal,
1: right? That yeah, it's definitely Newman's movie. He's lovely. Right. He's
0: amazing in it. Right. I really respect him in it. But Cruz is is stealing every second. Is on him, and like, you know, what Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio is doing is sort of the opposite. She's doing the quiet coiled snake performance underneath right. his, and the two of them right. are good together. But like it's the fact that he grabs, he grabs the rug out from underneath Newman that I think is what makes the performance so kind of like pop
1: yes because to your point I think the scene that people still to this day talk about and I think before I ever saw this movie just on like YouTube video compilations of like best music in movie scenes kind of the, the werewolves of London scene is the scene that everybody talks about
2: is that where the camera is stuck on the table and is hitting every shot
1: yeah yeah oh yeah and it's uh, ooh werewolves of London. It's a great fucking scene.
2: Obviously, he learned to fly a helicopter in record time. He's been on the Burj Khalifa. But like, hitting these fucking pool shots? Have you played pool? You know, I, like, that shit's nuts. Sean, do you play
1: pool at all? Are you a pool player? Yeah, you know,
0: I like pool. I I, I don't really... I never played it in any sort of, like, angry, competitive way. My partner is from the south, southeast Texas, and if I play casually, she gets furious. She's like, no, like, we're playing by the rules. Like, I paid four quarters for this. Like, we're fucking doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, So I respect the game, but... I never really I never engaged with it. It's like bowling, like I only go to bowling alleys to play with friends. I've never bowled like
1: yeah, I'm a little bit in the middle, I think. I really actually wanted to get into bowling and pool this year, but I just don't have enough people who want to go as regularly as I'd like to go. Um yeah. both him and Newman, then I think Newman obviously had some training that he had done for the Hustler back in the day, but I think they did some they did like 5 weeks of of training basically to, to do with it. And I think it was pretty, pretty planned. So like they were really just working on highly specific shots that they knew that they were going to get.
2: Cause the camera knows where the ball is going.
1: And then I think there's a little tidbit in the research, whatever we do very Sean. I don't know how much you've been listening to the podcast. We do very, um, lackadaisical, uh research. We're trying to get better
0: Sean, at that, how do but, you, you know, to the episodes. I started the first one this morning, but I hadn't, I didn't finish Couldn't it. Couldn't get through it. Yeah, it's fine. You no, know, it's not true. I, I listen to it on my walk. I listen to podcasts on my walk. My column is a is a podcast column, so I'm always listening to podcasts every day. It's like baked into my schedule. But this morning, I had to take a call instead. So yeah. I got like four minutes in, I got my coffee from Quacks, and then I was on the
2: phone. We're getting better at it. I believe that 100% we're getting better at it. I, I, yeah, I
1: think, so. It. I think, so. I think
2: uh, so. But also... There are a fucking crazy amount of work and I hate, I hate it. I hate it. Uh, Anyway. um,
0: Why do you need it? Okay. There's already like the podcasts that do like the deep research and like, sure, you should know the fundamentals, but I kind of like the idea of just as a, as a civilian watcher, just like as a person who's not making these films rather it's very delightful to me to like not having seen like I had seen this movie the first time without ever having watched The Hustler, for example. Right. I'd never right. seen that. I I know now how deeply that sort of informs uh Paul Newman's performance and characterization, but really I didn't need it to like the film. And similarly, I don't I don't think you have to have research to talk about Tom Cruise, of all people.
1: Yeah, I think Scorsese talked a lot about how he didn't want to make a movie that Like you could watch this without having seen the hustler. And he
2: So I watched both of them last night for the first time, both films, never seen them before. And I realized pretty early on, like, oh, I've only ever seen a single Paul Newman film, which was Road to Perdition. Like I mostly (laughs) I mostly know him as like the fucking tomato sauce guy. You've never seen
1: cars? Wait, tomato sauce? What are you talking about? You mean ranch dressing? He does tomato
2: sauce too? He does all of it. He does Newman's own does Newton's own does all that, okay. And all pasta right. sauce, imagine. You I know, think it's
1: it's too difficult to focus on just ranch, dude. I, ma- I can't imagine diversifying. I'm personally, I'm
2: an enthusiast of like celebrity alcohols. I buy Tim uh, Eric Gourham's wine. Uh, Stephen like Casamigos. Steven and I drink He's Miles like- Teller's Long Drink. We're big fans. So imagine, like, if you were like one day you're at the store and you go, "Whoa, Paul Newman's on a fucking ranch!" It would just be the yeah. greatest day of, of your life. Probably yeah, dude, that was such in, a in such area.
1: a. Such a great day for you guy who has seen one Paul Newman movie. You're so I'm excited about being Paul Newman. Yes. Yeah, okay, okay.
2: I've always liked the sauce. Uh, but I was just watching and I was like, wow, this guy really is fantastic. Whoa, this guy does movies? Holy <laughs>
1: shit, dude.
2: <laughs> His vodka saw something else. But yeah. watching The Hustler, I was like, this is fantastic and it's great. But I'm like, I cannot fucking wait to see Scorsese do some fucking pool table shit. Like I am dying to get to the next film.
1: Which he really fucking does some pool table shit. He just cranks it up. And, and some incredible
2: George C. Scott in The Hustler. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was okay. funny.
1: Well, that's
0: the thing that really got me more than Newman, who I liked in the movie, but I'm watching that and I read that that was his, his third movie, George C. Scott. Oh, crazy. Like, oh, yeah. Wow. I was just like, holy shit, that's fucking nuts. He got Oscar nominations for two of his first three movies, including Hustler. Incredible. Which I think is insane.
2: I mean, like in uh, Newman is like super fucking cool in Hustler. He has problems, obviously. He's so cool. But it's so funny back to the Tom Cruise and Clara Money, that dude is not cool it's and for tom to like accept a, a, a role that's like you're going to be a good pool player yes but your character also sucks
1: an incredible flake as newman yeah newman it. like you're gonna be
2: like you're gonna be the uncool guy to paul newman's like coolest dude in the world uh but obviously it's worth corsese so it's like you know there's reasons to choose this so i you know it, it just more power to tom to having chosen to do this role knowing that he's going to look like a fucking idiot with a shitty off-centered <laughs> earring that sucks
1: yeah the earring is funny <laughs> well i was like oh i hope
2: i saw the whole movie and it was it was just like i don't know yeah
0: i i had a couple of notes about that first i wrote just the ear piercing and then i wrote it's also before he fixed his teeth so he's got the bad teeth and he's got the ear thing going wrong and all of that sort of is clear I don't know, he's not in movie star mode yet, which is why I think this film's success is so kind of odd. Like he would yeah. be by Top Gun, but I don't know. There's something very naive about the performance. That's why I think it kind of is so exciting.
1: He still has a little bit of his uh, unibrow, which he has a lot of weirdly Parker. I don't I don't think we talked about this, but rewatching Top Gun, he still has a ton of his unibrow in a way that I was like,
2: Here, it makes sense. I'm like, this character should have a little bit of yeah, unibrow.
1: Yeah. Here's yeah. another question I
2: wrote down regarding
1: this fact
0: that Parker just brought up, which is that he, you know, is playing second fiddle and like the loser fiddle. How many times in his entire career has Tom Cruise ever been the number two credit, specifically the number two? The only thing that I could even think as a possibility, and I didn't check, but it would be interesting to know, is Interview with the Vampire. That would be the only movie that I can think of where he's like
1: less important than the movie star anchoring it right 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 well parker was kind of asking a similar question well i don't know when it was Where like
2: with business that was the last he would basically from there on out be the star and character up until i think
1: uh well color money notwithstanding i guess but like
2: or or you were saying that like basically you were saying
1: that like yeah, in every, about oh collateral? Cla- collateral there you go that's an answer to your question sean but collateral I think coll- like
2: his scenes are the ones you want to watch so i mean yeah true but he might still be like Second
1: fiddle, like still, he's the yeah.
0: blah, blah and Tom Cruise. Yeah. Well, It's, it's the, like it's Jimmy Fox, same, Mark Ruff. Right,
1: exactly. It's in the same way that like Heath Ledger's Joker is the most exciting part of the Batman movie, but he's still the second character because he's the villain, right? It's the same thing with, with Tom Cruise in, in Collateral.
2: This movie made me think a lot about Boogie Nights. Sort of the whole structure of like, suave, sophisticated older man finds the hot, young, kind of dim-witted stud. And it did make me think that like, at the right time, Tom could have been Dirk Diggler, and that would have been incredible. And he kind of is, you know, like, you know, Frank Tijimaki is like a- he's, he's
0: Dirk 15 years after Dirk. Like what would happen to a guy it, after oh, porn right. closes up, he would become like Tony Robbins. But like I, he does have the big phallus. One thing I did look for, like the pool stick. But yeah. More than that, it's just like he really does love his like his penis things. Like he's a penis guy. He's a very like sex driven star.
1: Absolutely. Yes.
2: We always Absolutely. talk about this every episode. No,
1: yes. No. <laughs> this is great that you bring this up because we really do talk about this, and and I do think it's like. I mean, because, again, we keep alluding to the 2005 sort of thing with his PR combustion. And it's like he was so sexual in like all of his movies and and, you know, whatever, like he was fucking girls. And and I don't know why I like whispered fucking like I'm afraid. Yeah, I was going to say, say, like, are you a problem? (laughs) Um, No, well, this is like one of the filthiest podcasts in the world, but um, uh, my mom hates it. I keep trying to hit that home with every episode because it's like his sexuality is really—it's crazy to watch these early early movies where, yeah, he 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 allows that stuff into to the performances in a way that he doesn't allow in nowadays. It's the skeleton key, I think, to his kind of entire career. I don't know if skeleton key is the right phrase, but whatever. You yeah, what sure. His like, his mo,
0: his modus yeah, operandi, yeah, like yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I like that, and and. I would like to see that applied specifically, like to these films, but also Scorsese. It's a good combination of people because he also is like very up with the like, like sex imagery, sex as a sort of like uh, forbidden or dangerous thing. At one point, Vincent actually warns Carmen, like the thing that he's just like worried about is. Rape artists, like that's a thing. That's like that's the danger. Is that rape artists will be up there? I've never heard that phrase in my life. A rape artist, but that's the thing that he's worried will happen to Carmen. Like there's such an intense connection to
1: sex in this like CD pool underworld. Yeah, that's when he's saying he wh- is that the
2: what well, He's in the what predominantly scene? black pool hall, and he's like very threatened.
0: Yeah, he says maybe this game is just for bangers. Be careful about rape artists.
1: That kind of goes into the scene where Newman. Gets real aggressive with her in the hotel room where she's like, she opens the door and she's like got her tits out basically. Yeah, and she's, she's nude. And she's, and nudish. then she's like, yeah, nude ish. And, and he's, you know, he's like, don't you want to put some clothes on? And she's like, it's not like I'm naked or something. And she's just sitting there like with her ass just like facing right towards him or whatever. And what does he say to her? He says, uh, He says, I'm not your daddy and I'm not your
2: boyfriend.
1: I'm not your boyfriend and I'm not your daddy. I'm your partner. So like, don't fucking, you know, don't mess with me. Like, let's let's do this thing together. I was going to say I had a similar thought to you, Sean, with the the sort of the sexual reading on the movie, I guess. And because it is kind of at the end of the day, a movie just about like an older guy trying to get his virility back, like up up against this younger guy who's full of it, who's who's brimming with cum like in every moment of his life and it's just like that's kind of what the movie is in a lot of ways and at the very end he's just like come on let's fucking do it and i'm gonna i don't know continually try to be be as virile as possible until he till the day he dies that's I sort was, of what it-
2: i was very relieved that uh paul newman and the girlfriend didn't fuck oh yeah i was really worried about that I'm Like, please don't do this, I, this not what i want Well, it's weird
0: Um, how it mirrors The Hustler. Having not seen that, I didn't know that a similar thing occurred between Piper Laurie and George C. Scott and The Hustler. And seeing that replayed was so intense, um, that relationship in The Hustler. I was like, whoa, that that mirroring is very meta, even for Scorsese. Like With Scorsese, you hear so much about that he, he was like trying to get his career back at this time. This was like a big commercial project he could take on to sort of get all the stuff that would come later. You know, last temptation is like, so, you know, he had to get this to, to make that, make Kundun, like those things had to follow. Right. And, and you can see him even so investing in sort of weird, uh, like referentiality that it, he would never do normally. And it, it, it's very distinct for him. And I don't know if it was forced on him or if he chose to do it or if he loved it. Uh, I'm not sure. I would like to ask him, but it, it's, it's, it's weird to see that mirror in this film with that, the male female relationship between Newman and Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio.
1: Well, and Newman is kind of in the George C. Scott role in this. He's in the state course role. And to your point about the Scorsese thing, there's a bunch of interviews, right, where he, where we he always talked about how he always never thought he was going to be like, uh, I don't want to overuse the word auteur, but like whatever, he never thought he was going to be that kind of filmmaker and he always just wanted to be like a hired studio director. And so I always love when he kind of takes these roles because it feels like it's like he feels just at ease because he just gets to be this thing that he secretly wanted to be the whole time. Like when he does this or when he does Cape Fear and he just gets to like
2: or the van film after hours was a uh tim burton film
1: oh was it originally
0: that's wild you know what occurred to me watching it is is he's got all this scorsese has all this juice that he's trying to get back like he's trying to reclaim his role as like a studio director and i think cruise at the time is sort of a risk like he top gun hasn't come out yet he isn't like the the main guy truly yet and And he hasn't really had, like, a true prestige success. I mean, Taps is strange because it gets a little bit of, like, I think Timothy Hutton gets, like, a Golden Globe nomination or whatever. So there's, like, a little bit of attention on it. But this, to me, seems like a project with a lot of, like, we we, we used to say muscular directing, you know, like, muscular filmmaking. Like, it's got seriousness, it's earnest, it's a drama. It's not really like an action film. Exactly. Sports, right. you you would call it like a sports drama, like
2: Hozier's or whatever. It's funny because Marty's only 44 years old. This is almost half a lifetime ago for him.
1: Right. Well, and it's funny. I, I think too, there's, there is this metatextual parallel of like, he's trying to get his juice back a little bit after these, after these unsuccessful movies. And this movie has that, a little bit in, uh, in the newman character but it is funny that for scorsese he's trying to get his juice back as like a 44 year old guy and newman's you know newman's character is, is this much old you know what i mean do you get what i'm totally, saying?
0: totally totally yeah. I, I, i'm i'm sure he i'm sure he related very well but like it, it makes you wonder or it made me wonder and i would like to know your opinions on this like Scorsese, you said, Parker, it's half his life of filmmaking, you know, but still past this point. Why, Why has he never gone back with Cruise again? Like the two of them have this big success. It's a really interesting role, a role filled with scene stealing. What is it that has kept the two of them from working together again. Scorsese goes back to the same character actors and leads over and over and over for 35, 40 years, you know.
2: That is a good question. This is like Tom's point where he's collecting auteurs. I guess he works with Tony twice. Does he work with anybody else twice? He works with Spielberg twice. Yeah, I don't know, it's a shame, I mean what movie would you, what specific film would you put Tom in? He's not Italian, so that cuts out half the films, you know?
0: Well, he could have done Gangs of New York easily, could have been Could have been either of those guys, I think, could have been the older Amsterdam, or even could have done what uh, Day Lewis yeah. did. He was of age at that point.
1: Tom Cruise as Bill the Butcher would be just insane i mean i could have seen
0: him in aviator too i feel like he probably even at one point would have been attached to that cruz could have been his DiCaprio. you know like the the what have been there really what could have been there is really amazing to me like how much more oscar winnie cruz could have been had he hitched his horse to marty for longer
2: alec baldwin in departed could have been tom cruise that would have
0: been a really good Tom Cruise or, or he could have even done Mark Wahlberg as, as indelible as Wahlberg is in that film. That would have been a really good cruise one.
1: I was going to say to answer your question, Sean, about like why is just, yeah. What's your I think it's cruise. I honestly think it's cruise. I think, you know, after this, he starts to, to work with directors that he is more fully in collaboration with and not necessarily at the whim of, which I think he would be more with Scorsese. And he's more helping to shape the projects for the rest of his career than like coming on and being being the clay, I suppose. Right, but you feel know like DiCaprio
2: and De Niro both have a kind of relationship with Marty as well. I don't agree
0: about DiCaprio. I, I think that he is very like. He's one of those actors who's like a shell and like you know you fill you fill him up as a director and he's like i do what my director wants i remember i'll never forget seeing nicole kidman who i think is the same way she she was at the sundance premiere for stoker park chan wook stoker Yeah. and yeah. people would ask her questions at the q a like you know what were you thinking when you made this decision and she'd say well Director Park would tell me to make this decision. And so I would make it. And then Director right. Park would say that to me, that is DiCaprio in a nutshell. I don't think he he's, I, I agree more with the that Steven is putting forward that he's like a shadow producer who needs to be sort of co-directing, shadow making his films. DiCaprio is more of a subservient. He's like Scorsese's little boy on a leash. Like he'll do anything that Marty asked him to do.
1: I think De Niro Parker is more like what you're saying, Scorsese right. says as much where they truly collaborate. I, I'm sure Leo brings things to the table as an actor or whatever yeah. and he brings and money ch- to the table. He gets that. things made by being But Yeah, life. I think he is more of like of an actor's actor in that way, in the sense that he comes to the table and just and is there to serve the movie as a as a performer. You
0: know why I don't believe that about DiCaprio? Okay. DiCaprio, yeah. he's coming up on fifty. He's been in the business for over 30 years. He has enormous success and opportunities. He could do anything he wants. And you know what we've never seen from him ever, not once, a vanity project that he directed and wrote. He never had his Lost River. He'll produce like films about the Serengeti. He's not coming out with like, "I think I could do this just as well as anybody else." He's not doing his Stars Born.
2: But I do think there are plenty of actors out there that I would love to see make a film as director. Obviously, I think Tom is like kind of ghost doing that with a lot of these Mission Possibles lately and stuff. Yeah. I would yeah. love to see Matt Damon direct a film. I think that's like, I don't know why that hasn't happened yet.
1: He was supposed to direct Promise Land and Manchester by the Sea. I I think he's he's chickened out maybe because
0: he he's a little wiser about his career, more studied, I think. Like DiCaprio is all about like, I want to indulge my taste in working with like the greatest of the great. And I think that's, a bit, but like, I do think he probably is involved. I just think that Tom Cruise is so much more the, the guy who's true making the films, you know, that's, and like, I think this probably was the last time in his career, really after Top Gun that he didn't get to have that voice. A lot of
1: say. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
0: after this, I, you know, after Top Gun really, uh, have you guys recorded your Top Gun already? Yeah, did. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, after that, he he has like it it's his face on the poster. Risky business too, but like after that, right. he can just say whatever he wants to do, and it makes money for him and for anybody else. And and he just has so much power.
2: I mean, Days of Thunder is that thing where he like it's his baby. He he cooked up. I think it's even like co-written. He's a I co- think he has a story credit. Yeah, yeah. and that film doesn't yeah. do very well. So maybe he maybe he kind of backed off on that aspect a little bit. <clears throat> I knew this would happen, Sean, um, bringing you on. I knew it would make Steven clean up his act and kind of bring his egg <laughs> in.
0: Yeah, he's so prim around me. You don't need to be like that. I, I, I'm a nasty little man.
2: I was just telling uh, Sean how, uh, Steven, you're on your best behavior.
1: Am I? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you
2: haven't really said one shitty thing to me.
1: Um, well, but the thing is, is because... because yeah, well, it's just diff- it's difficult because you're not talking as much, so it's like I you have to say you have to speak dumb things out of your mouth <laughs> for me to have for have like an improv moment to say something shitty. You that's yeah. that's kind of the thing. I don't feel like I'm actively uh, censoring myself. You know what it is is you're bringing a lot more like wit and intelligence and and like interesting things to say about the m- films than we have so far had in the conversations prior.
0: I doubt that so hard, but I, I do. Sure. I, it sounds like <laughs> bullshit, but I do appreciate it. I haven't. I made an old fashioned.
2: The, you're old, your the old fashioned is red.
0: Okay, so this is what I this is what I did. I'm recently on a kick with. um Why did I just forget it? The fancy cherries, uh, Luxardo. Thank you, Luxardo cherries. I'm 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 so fascinated by them, and I love their taste. I like all my. um liquor to taste like a little child's a little, liquor little with yeah sweetness and chocolates sure. and fruit
1: you're not drinking uh, what is he drinking this like straight it's a pj pj something pj harvey or something i was gonna ask if you got the name of it uh jts brown is jts brown that's right is that like a real thing or is it just yeah. supposed to be one of his I, shitty I it it's up. supposed to be one of his shitty sort of like knockoff that no, he sells that he Kentucky sells to people okay
2: made, made in louisville
1: well, isn't the whole thing that he's a liquor salesman, but he's, he sells like he's in the beginning in that opening monologue that where he's talking to, what's her name? Uh, Helen Shaver, right? That's her name, right? He's like, I, I can get you this bourbon for 35.50 less than what you're going to pay for.
2: And he wants somebody to like fill bottles with, with the wrong bourbon. Yeah, I, which I love, like the hustler. I love like, when the movie's full of scammers and con artists, you never know who's being genuine. You never know, like, you can never trust anybody's moments of, like, emotional vulnerability. You don't know what the hell's going on. Who's hustling who the entire time? Yeah. Really makes it hard to, like, follow. Like, is Tom Cruise really an idiot? Okay. That's, I, was, I was talking with Spencer about this before we got on. Um, does TC's character know that throwing the match is really painful to uh, Paul Newman. I don't think he does. I think he's genuinely like, he's too dumb to realize that.
1: I think Tom Cruise's uh, character, Vincent, is the only genuine character in the movie, right? I mean, I think, I think we are told and shown who he is. And so every emotion that he plays, I think is pretty much pure.
2: But it does show them when Newman's across the restaurant watching him at the bar, he does know how to work this thing now. He's figured it out. Well,
1: right. What you're talking about with the Boogie Nights thing, right? Or like, honestly, Magic Mike, which I know is just kind of like, Boogie Nights later on. But like where the one old timer gets out cause he's like sick of the life, so to speak, but while at the same time corrupting the newcomer, right? Like that's what's going on. And so he's he's corrupted the purity of Tom Cruise just wanting to play, play to play. Right? It's like, and he'll, and, play, he'll and, play for
2: free in the first scene. He's like, "I'll right. you." Oh boy, that opening scene with John Turturro and like he's trying to convince her about the alcohol, but he's like, he's hearing like the most beautiful pool player constantly. Well, and the he's hand, like the hand coming, in.
1: the hand coming in, Eddie, Eddie. Like, I need more. I need more. I need more money.
2: Whatever. I was buckled up. I'm like, I'm ready to get dunked on by a Scorsese film. Mm-hmm. It's always like a beautiful thing to like have a new Marty film you've never seen before.
0: Yeah, I, I was gonna say, um, I think it's malevolent. I think that he has, uh, Vincent has wised up, and and especially with Mary Elizabeth, Master Antonio on his on his arm, I, I think he knows what he's doing. It's so so at the end, he,
1: at the end, you think he is specifically trying to hurt. Yeah, I do. I do.
0: do. And I think he's doing this sort of like bumpkin thing as like, as a goof, like, oh, you know, no, no big deal, man. But like, I I think I think that's a disguise for being a hustler himself. I think the hustler, I think that's sort of where the entendre of that name comes from that, you know, you are hustling and being hustled at all times is sort of how I how I read it, especially watching it the second time. This is this is the second time I've seen the movie in full I've seen clips from it dissected but watching it again I was like no between the two of them he's not so stupid as to know that would like break an old man's heart I don't think
1: interesting I don't know I mean I like that reading but I also think I don't I think he thinks that it's the it's the thing that Paul Newman would have wanted him to do and so on some level he's still like trying to impress him and be like hey see you left us in the lurch, but actually I've taken your lessons and I've like, put them aren't to Aren't you proud of me? Aren't and you, it's like, like, yeah, aren't you proud of Paul. me? Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Maybe,
2: yeah maybe it
0: is, it is some of that. You know, I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive. Like in the sense, I think he probably knows that he's going to do damage. And I think they've probably, you know, reconciled to the fact of like, well, we're going to do what he would want us to do. And it's going to ruin him. Like I, I, Again, even if he even if Vincent doesn't fully know, I think his
1: girlfriend Mary Mary Elizabeth does. Yeah. yeah, I that I that I 100% buy. If Vince if Vincent doesn't know Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio does. Yeah, for sure. Totally.
2: For sure. Yeah, it's just like so beautiful cuz like, you know, uh Paul beats TC and then he goes he has to like go outside to like fucking exclaim his joy and then it's all for nothing. It's just well, so know, tragic.
1: You know what's funny about that when he goes out there and he goes like he does like a real high pitched yeah or something yeah. Yeah. that honestly reminds me of the way that uh, Ryan Gosling screams when he gets like that when he does that kind of high pitch Ryan Gosling yeah. thing you know and he's like ah you know he gets really <laughs> high pitch yeah and Newman do- Newman does that a little bit I don't feel like anyway Newman the hustler it's I was wondering to, I, like
2: I, who are you know, what are the modern day who's the new Newman what kind what like what because obviously people say that like when um, James Dean died and then Paul Newman took those roles over is what they say, yeah, yeah. right? And like River Phoenix died, and like other actors filled those shoes. So sort of like who who is a modern day kind of Paul Newman? Who's playing that kind of archetype these days?
1: Honestly, the closest, which we brought him up already, I think the person that's getting closest to, at least in his old age, where I'm really excited about seeing him as an older actor is Matt Damon. Like I think... Matt Damon, I think, is going to age really beautifully into playing these older, gruffer, sadder characters, and I, and I, I want to say Tom Cruise. I think I'd want to say, like, you know, I want to see Tom Cruise do the the sequel to this with the Safty Brothers and Rob Pattinson or something. You know what I mean? But like,
0: that seems so impossible, right? Like, he just won't do it. He won't no, he challenge won't. Yeah. himself. He's no, so he afraid,
1: and and that's the disappointing
0: thing, and part of why I think he doesn't get the. Respect he wants because he he really felt that he needed to go the one way or the other. I'm either going to be the biggest movie star in the world, or I'm going to be a highly respected, you know, once in a blue moon actor. And right. and he tries that. He tried to have his cake and eat it too all the way until collateral. And at that point, he he gave up on that. Right. I would say the closest we have, unfortunately, is Samuel L. Jackson, which while I respect him very much as like the elder statesman who can still be kind of physical and appealing. He's also done that Tom Cruise thing where, you know, Newman to the end of his life, you mentioned road to perdition. Like that is again, like a very right down the middle, muscular film. It's a film noir. It's a genre film. It's, uh, coming from the guy who just made American beauty. So he's got all the money and power in the world to put this sort of adult drama out into the world. And wow. Newman does that. And he does, you know, cars with John Lasseter, again, a big, huge film, but like auteur driven. And I think for a while that was Samuel L. Jackson. And when you go and look at like the movies that Jackson has made, this is the dude who has forever straddled the worlds of like high end prestige filmmaking, yeah. You know, made some of the greatest films that history has ever seen, as well as like some of the most middle brow ass, you know, um, run of the mill studio shit. But in yeah. terms of like an elder statesman who radiates like authority figure, I, he's as close as we have.
2: One thing against Matt Damon is Matt Damon is not aging as gracefully as Paul Newman does. Paul Newman at 61 is a fucking handsome, sexy dude. I think Matt yeah. Damon's getting a little bit like he's just not quite aging as well, which I think might kind of cut out some of the charm.
1: You think Matt Damon is no longer pretty? Like, what's going on? <laughs>
2: I don't think Matt Damon is as handsome now as Paul Newman is at 61. I,
0: I will say that I was watching Color Money and my girlfriend walked through and she, she she's just like damn, you know, like looking at Paul Newman. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's obviously like a meme now that people will just sort of like discover Paul Newman's beauty and post about it. But I remember where I was when he died and the reaction of, I was visiting San Francisco right before college, trying to decide where I was going to go. And I was on this rooftop with a bunch of women at a party and we were like reading our phones, seeing that he died. And like this girl, her name is Gabby. Gabby, if you're listening, find me.
1: She's not. Gabby, please <laughs> listen. Listen to the podcast, Gabby. For the love of God, yeah. yeah.
0: I I literally have no idea who that is, but she she like broke down on the stairs, like smoking a cigarette. She's just like one one less beautiful person in the world. <laughs> like his beauty. It was his. Was his uh stock and trade even more than his talent really like well really a his... stock and
2: trade is the ranch in the marinara
0: <laughs> yeah to a certain person
2: someone's got a face so good he could put on a bottle of ranch
0: But okay can we all agree that the face of him on the salad is hideous that illustration of him doesn't make him look good it makes him no. look like a fucking old guy
1: yeah it's a weird illustration
0: yeah it's not good looking. Like, I, I wouldn't look at that and go, oh, this is a leading contender for the all-time best looking human in the history of documented imagery.
2: It's, it's been like, like authors with their, like their headshots on the cover is like, you have a young headshot, no matter how old you are. Like they have young photos of him, put a young man on the ranch, I'll buy the young hot ranch. You
0: have to think that Newman's well, own, which, which is successful, would I be more that. successful with pretty Newman.
1: But I think the thinking is it's more you want you want uh I think you kinda want an old wise salad maker. Yeah, I don't know. You want like a guy who's like Don't they kinda like they kinda like dress
2: it up like that. all like the spicy ones or like put like a sombrero on him and stuff. Don't, don't they do that? I think they do. He yeah. wears like hats
0: and <laughs> on certain ones.
2: And like obviously the proceeds going to charity. Like what a what a guy. What a what a what Wait, a is that dude. true?
0: I didn't yeah, know that. Oh big time, yeah. So they don't even go to the like the Newman Woodward Woodard.
2: It's not like Coppola fucking making his shitty films with his wine. It's this okay. is going to charity. You, know Whoa, Parker, Parker, you haven't even seen fuck, Megalopolis. Dude.
1: How fucking dare you insult Parker. this? Yeah, Parker is so weird. Parker claims to have seen Apocalypse Now 17 times. And that like Francis Ford Coppola is the greatest guy in the world or whatever. But he's sitting over here talking, tr- talking trash. Yeah, go uh, I buy
2: that dumb wine of his, I think, hey, this is a, a one hour of like a grip on fucking Twixt.
0: The Coppola Diamond Reserve is a good fucking Absolutely. wine. Absolutely. What's it's your a problem? Great
1: wine, I drink it. I drink you're going after him for it? You're 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 such a hypocrite. Big...
2: It's fun. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this, is,
1: this is awesome. Nothing that I've ever wanted yeah, to do. Somebody yeah. else. Yeah. <laughs> two, pe- two people just coming there after Parker, are. dude. Yeah, yeah, it's actually <laughs> my,
2: my uh, greatest nightmare, actually. But in
0: terms of Paul Newman's beauty, it, it really is like, to me, it's like, you know, he's a leading candidate for like the most beautiful human being that was ever like on, on screens. And, and I've seen a lot of his movies, actually. I have, I have a lot of holes in the filmography, but like all the big ones now that I've (laughs) I've got a lot of holes. (laughs) Um, And that's why I love him. No, but let
2: me ask you this. Uh, Some of the other top beauties of cinema history.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, I can name a few, like right off the top of the bat. What? That's not the phrase. The top of my head. I oh, told okay. you as soon as I start to have like a little drink, the brain. So that's just works. what we
2: want. Yes. Um, I think the know, only way
0: that this podcast works is start, to start with the obvious alcohol. ones. Yeah. Start with the obvious ones. Start with you know Robert Redford, very beautiful. Um, Brad Pitt, yeah, very beautiful. Antonio Banderas, super beautiful. Penelope Cruz, Johansson, very beautiful. Julia Roberts, to me, as Perfect a face for the screen, you know, the wide smile, open face. Yeah, you know, big, beautiful. big
1: features, kind of huge yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: features, huge hair. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's, you know, like people who are obviously beautiful, but in sort of their sick way, the like, Like Willem Dafoe, you know, like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like that. I think that's good. I think that's good. Willem
2: Dafoe is fucking sexy. And some people are like, Oh Jesus Christ. like. Well, he has, there's, there's the ugly, sexy people. The Vincent Gallo is an ugly, sexy
0: Vincent Gallo. Like, you're just like, it's disturbing that a person looks like him, but at the same time you could see why this person's image is replicated all over the world.
2: You ever see uh, the cranes are flying? It's a Soviet film?
0: Uh yes, i saw that. The the is that the Cuba one? No, it's it's um, what's her name? Koladasov, Koladasov. I saw this film. Yes, I've seen it.
2: Yeah, the act, the actress in that uh Tatiana Samolova. when I remember watching that in college and be like, wow, this is maybe the most beautiful woman in the history of movies.
0: Oh, sure. Um uh to me, I would say probably Monica Vitti like in Red Desert, Antonioni, yeah, yeah. like that that's as as amazingly beautiful as as a human can be, I think.
1: I was gonna say uh, Sydney Sweeney in Euphoria (sighs) and Sydney Sweeney in Y-Lotus and Sydney Sweeney in... I have a theory about the
0: Werewolves of London scene.
1: I was gonna say it earlier. For me, watching that
0: scene again, that is the whole reason for the movie to exist for Scorsese. Like, if you have to find your way into a studio picture and be like old, reliable, and get your little piece of like auteur filmmaking in, like visualization. I saw that movie Babylon, and oh, yeah. there's a couple shots where you're just like, oh, it's just about this shot. The whole movie is just about him, like, you know, getting the camera through the crowd as they're doing like a party and trying to make that look cool as fuck. And The Werewolves of London, that shot that sequence could exist by itself, self-contained in a short film and explode in the exact same way as the whole movie. You could take out the whole rest of the movie and still be amazed.
1: I think you're right, but also I think, I mean, just purely based on his interviews, I do think a big thing for him was just the ability to, like he talks so much about shooting, also speaking to Paul Newman's beauty, right? He just talks so much about shooting Paul Newman's face and how, how, how he had never worked with like a true movie star before. And like, yes, the guys that he worked with, De Niro, became and, movie and stars, and but became with him. movie stars, but, but he didn't know them as movie stars. Whereas, whereas Newman was a guy that he literally watched as he was like 12 years old. Yeah. And, and that face was like, you know, burned into his brain. And, and he wanted the opportunity to like, Luxuriate on that face in a with the camera in a movie star way. and mm-hmm. like, and like obviously i I mean, I think, yes, you're right on that point, but also I think the other scene that is like the the reason why he did it is that w- that shot, which is a great fucking shot, right after Newman finds out that Cruz bl- um, yeah, duped him and and blew yeah. the game, blew the game on purpose or yeah. it's not right after, but whatever, and he's in the he's in the Atlantic City. Tournament and the camera is going around him and around oh, him and around him and around yeah. him. And, and he's kind of like turning with the camera at times, but then it'll get sometimes it'll they'll, sometimes they'll lose each other and he'll be he'll be like a more um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, what was it when you're from the side? Um, whatever it's offset, set. Off set. yeah, offset, yeah, yeah. But but um, profile, his profile, profile, that's what I was thinking of, yeah. And and but you know, there's there's moments in that shot where Newman's borderline like following the camera and borderline, like looking directly into you, the soul of the viewer that is like so fucking powerful. And then that's, and then that's followed by the beautiful fucking, which boy, we got to get into Michael Ballhouse, but, but followed by that, that just goddamn gorgeous existential shot of Newman in the eight ball. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That shot is crazy. But anyway, that shot was spinning around him. Like, has such a it's just like the that's the face of the movie star and he's looking directly directly into the audience's soul kind of and it just crushes but uh, anyway another point just quickly sorry another point that i remember when i watched well parker can attest to i will often just go go and go and go and go and go and go and i like someone needs to stop me and whatever but um I remember I rewatched this movie, not that long after like an un- initially seeing silence, which, which is ma- honestly another thing that we should talk about. It's funny. I mean, whatever, I'm going fucking all over the place a mile a minute. Sorry. Sorry. Parker's shaking his head. I, I, I,
0: I saw saw silence in Madrid. Almodovar came and sat next to her in the theater with a guest. Sat That's next, awesome. talk through the entire movie, <laughs> the whole film, and at one point we just hear him go like, "Adam
1: Driver, amazing."
0: Oh, <laughs> <that is laughs> We're so like, so "Okay, funny. it's good commentary, but
1: shut your yeah. fucking trap." I love that movie, and every rewatch that I've had That's of that amazing. movie has like gro- it has grown and grown and grown in my estimation. Um, I think it's so fucking beautiful, Brilliant. but. I remember watching that and then watching this for like the second time, honestly, like I hadn't seen it in a really long time and watching this just sort of randomly not that long after seeing that or that movie was just like in on my mind. And honestly, I think there's a and I whatever, you know, who nobody gives a shit about my Twitter, but but like I tweeted it and and because, you know, whatever. And it was just the image of Newman with his reflection in the eight ball and uh, Andrew Garfield with his reflection in the water, but he's seeing Jesus's reflection. You remember? Like he looks in the water and he's seeing Jesus. And I just thought like there was some kind of spiritual connection in the images of those two. Like there is like Newman the God and Newman and and in this and in the actual like world of the film, like Newman the pool God or Eddie Felsen the, the pool God like See, I don't know. I just felt like well, just, Eddie. Well, that's Eddie. also his,
2: his lowest moment.
1: It's true, but I don't know. Whatever. I just think there's hey, so he is uh, sort of
0: a Christ figure in the first film. I don't know that I see it as much in color. It's of not money. in
1: this. No, it's not in this. But yeah, in the first film, a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, and, I don't know. Whatever. Sarah is the same way. I, I just wanted- think that Score says he can't help, but like I think there's a spirituality. I mean, it's obviously just super existential, right? But like. I don't know. There's just a spirituality to that image that, like Scorsese, whether he even knows it or not, is like there's that that Catholic in all his images. It's just you know, it's just the, it's just so deeply, deeply ingrained. And even I'm gonna like say, I'm
2: going to say, he knows it.
1: Nice. it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're probably right.
2: Uh, Marty, do you know that actually your films have lots <laughs> of Catholic imagery in them? Kind of comment.
1: <laughs> all right all right sorry whatever my long fucking rambling tangent was not, not, uh, not, worth much. not
2: you try to make a point i was excited to hear those points
1: well uh, there. are t- th- first of all i am gonna be honest
0: and say i agree with steven i mean i do think that the film is it he i think he i think scorsese
1: is hiding that's, that's right parker you fucking
0: bitch i think he's hiding i think he's hiding his spirituality here and i think it's like Pushing through, it, it's weird to me because I think the pool world is a little bit like the debauchery of it, and the fact that it's just there's a lot about class in this film, and and it ties into like where everybody's coming from, the environments they're coming from. There's some suggestion that the Master Antonio character is coming from like a situation of abuse or like you know decrepitude, and. I've never been more aware of the fact that Tom Cruise is like mixed race than in this film. Also, like that's a thing that we don't talk about a lot. Like Tom comes from a very interesting ethnic background, and I would love to have seen, like, what Catholics think of this film because it exists in such an underworld, like a truly seedy world where like, uh, sex and alcoholism and gambling all sort of like coalesce into. This one, just, well, I mean, they look like churches. I mean, they're, they they're like, like yeah, exactly. that's, no, that's total, totally, yeah, totally, totally. And, yeah. and I, I, without doubt, I, I see it that way. And I think that there's sort of like, there's some of that ritualistic um, behavior to the pool. And, you know, I think if you're in a world where addiction is like people go down there they gamble because i was just at a casino this weekend and there was people playing craps i went to the golden nugget in in lake charles and oh, nice. you see a, and and it was weird to have just watched this and and watch the hustler coming back from it because that world is so like um that is a church, you know, and I think that that's been said many times about casinos and and even Scorsese would go there in casino, like literally sort of make those parallels explicit right. at a certain point. That's why Jews were so good at making them, because they knew to cater to people who were missing that in their actual spiritual life. Right. Um, and I I kind of see that in this film. The other thing you mentioned, Michael Ballhouse, and like I, this movie is so... When people are like going after score, you know how score went after Marvel movies. And so people just like fight him online. I have a friend who's a- my-, my friend, Danny. He's like a Marvel apologist. He's obsessed with Marvel movies. And like, look, I- I've seen some Marvel movies that are good and some that are bad. I don't have anything particular against like the the studio, but he will just love everything that comes out from them. And they'll go after Scorsese and be like, oh, congratulations, you fucking moved the camera. Therefore, you're like a better director. That's like an attack that people will launch on Scorsese. And I'm watching this film and I'm thinking, well, yeah, he moves the camera and it's fucking thrilling. Do you know how hard it is to move the camera? To to do that 360 while Paul Newman is walking? The coordination, it's fucking dance, dude. Like if you know anything about how this is made, you know how impossible it was to get made.
1: Yeah, yeah. And yeah. on top of just those guys making the shot, like, I mean, it's like, obviously just like the coordination of the camera, but like, yeah, and, and in coordination, the block, it's crazy, it's truly crazy. But.
2: Thinking about like uh, the underworld, like, you know, in The Hustler, uh, George Scott is more of a poker player and he's stepping into the world of pool. And it's like thinking about the kind of underworld gambling kind of games and pool, I think being more of a meritocracy than a card game. uh Definitely, it's about talent. You
0: have to be talented to win.
2: Yeah, and it's physical. It's a, it's a sport more so than like luck of a draw kind of thing.
1: But that's funny. That's funny because the opening monologue in this is literally like, for some players, luck is an art, right? Like it's 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 almost like, which is slightly in opposition of what you're talking about. But like,
2: but like, I mean, like you know, yes, there's luck, but like if, when you play 20 games, luck a little bit averages out.
1: I guess it's like it's like cliche, but like you know, movies like poker movies or pool movies or whatever. It's like the, the game is always about life, you know, whatever. Like you can speak about it in these terms that it's just like, it's life, baby. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, which is, it's, that's. The amount like, of
0: like metaphors, like the metaphorical yeah. interpretations in the world of pool. At one point, Paul, Paul's character, Eddie yells, I'm acting, it's acting, you know? And I'm like, okay. Oh, yes. Interesting. Yes. Like, right. I get that. Yeah. And also the casino thing, again, like, I was thinking the fact that they go into the casino and then he makes casino later and then, and then fucking Schrader does the card counter. You're just like, these guys are all tapping the same wells. It's not an accident.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I was even about the card counter a lot watching this.
0: Yeah. A weird, whole lot. Because in card counter, there's an explicit connection made between like the characters experiencing a spiritual crisis related to his gambling. His gambling is about, controlling an environment of luck while he's going through like, you know, a a moral collapse. And in this film, it's like, Eddie is already debauched. He could go worse. He could just exploit Helen shaver and, and fuck her and get out of her house. Or he could like be a legitimate guy, like be her longtime lover. And he's like wrestling with that the entire film to me, I see that. And I, I see resonance with that kind of behavior in the card counter too, like the relationship he's trying to have with Tiffany Haddish.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you mean the worst part of the film? <laughs> yeah. I, I
0: do like, uh, I, I love think She's that good keeps, in it. I think she's I like good. Her, I like her too. Yeah. But, but I do agree that she, she doesn't fit. And I was going to say the one thing that I do like is the,
1: that he does the brasson uh, pickpocket, uh, ending at the end. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah.
2: Take a time now to talk about briefly um, when S- Steven and I, me too, were playing. Online you, were, poker you were there, but you were only there with one time. One time.
1: One time. Yeah. Is that real? Yeah. The real Paul Schrader.
2: The real one. Tell the, tell the best way you possibly can. Go.
1: Long ago, Paul Schrader posted about needing a an assistant or something. And he posted his phone number on his Facebook like an idiot. <laughs> Dumbass fucking Paul Schrader. Um, and I, you know, in the moment, I was just like, oh, this is hilarious. I'm going to put Paul Schrader's phone number in my phone. And like, I'll probably never call him. Like, anyway, a fair amount of time passed, like probably about a year, I would say, maybe. And he posted how he got kicked out of a poker group. Um, I remember about that. Well, there's this a couple of times. One of them is mine. Um, okay. But-, but For uh, saying
0: incendiary shit, right? He, he said, said like, offensive well,
1: shit. So I, he posted about how he got kicked out of this group and he said something about there was a girl in their group who was really beautiful and he said like- Yes, that's what i and, and he said like, send us a picture of your boyfriend or something like that to be like, is he worthy of how beautiful you are or something? I don't remember exactly, but anyway, he posted that. And I, at the time, this is during COVID, had a an online poker group that I had with some friends. And so I have his number and I see this post and I'm just like, all right, I'm calling, I'm calling. I'm, <laughs> I'm calling Paul and I'm just gonna like, ask him if he wants You're to join do our Paul group. Paul. Yeah, anyway, so I cold call him, his wife answers and I say, is Paul there? And then she's like, yeah, hold on, Give me- <laughs> I'll go get him. And um, and Paul picks so you up- you spoke and- to
0: Mary Beth Hurt first.
1: Yes. Okay. And that's big by itself. And then Paul picks up and I'm like, hey, Paul, you know, my name's Steven. You don't know who I am, but like, I follow you on Facebook and I have a poker group that I am part of. And, you know, I'm a big fan of your work. If you want to join our group, you know, uh, we would love to have you, you know, whatever. And he says, like, okay. Um, He's telling me that he's also had a proposition from John Ham's poker game, but they're playing like big stakes. And like, so dollars
2: buy Yeah, like
1: big, big stakes. And so and he's more like, you know, in
2: camaraderie than like gambling.
1: Exactly. Okay. Thanks, Parker, um, for telling my story. But uh, and, and, I was there uh, too, bitch.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you were you texting were, me the entire time. You were like, <laughs> oh my God. This is as much Parker's
0: story as yours now, Steven. Yeah, you, exactly. You sacrificed the rights Apparently to it so. when you told him everything step um, by step.
1: Whatever we we going back and forth, and I'm saying like, yeah, look, this game's totally about camaraderie. We have very low buy-ins; it's just for fun. Like, he sends me an email that's like, "Got it, I'm in." And he so he chooses. I'll just say he chose my poker game over John Hamm's poker game. I have Fuck that. Thank you, John Hamm. I have that going for me for the Bur- rest of my burn life. Burn in hell, John. Exactly right. I and, love John uh, Hamm. I, I do <laughs> too. I like
0: him too. He's actually one of my favorite actors, and I hate to burn the bridge with him, but. Fuck you, John Ham, forever. You exactly. lost to Steven. Exactly. I, you know, exactly. I've chosen
1: sides. Yeah, exactly. I love you, John. And Thank your you. giant fucking dick. Penis. Yes, he's got a big one, apparently. Not not much bigger than me. No, or it's much bigger. Not much bigger than me or Parker's, I don't think. Um, way, way, way bigger. Basically, we play with him. He tells some great stories. He has some really funny stories where he's asking us about. He are Pre Master Gardener, he's talking about, I really want to make a movie with Liam Neeson and Zendaya. And he's asking us about what we think of Zendaya. And he was like, he was like, I had this, I had this idea about like a, a love triangle between like this older guy who's a Nazi and like a young mixed race girl and this older, like kind of older woman. So he wanted to do it with Liam Neeson, Zendaya and Glenn Close, which I kind of like that version more. I don't really love Master Gardener as much, frankly, but I really, you know, I love him. I would have played with him longer, but it just, we would have had to have a talk, you know, whatever, which well, we did have I mean, a talk.
2: So he started getting, he started getting well, inappropriate. So he
1: made some inappropriate comments to one of the women that was in our poker group. He tweeted, he or he posted about this on Facebook. So it's like, I'm not really saying anything that he didn't already say, but he basically said, you look like SG Goodman to this girl and this woman in our group. And he said, uh, I want to see the two of you in a twosome. Which is also just a hilarious wording, like, you can just say like, you wanna see the two of you have sex with each other, but he was like, I wanna see you guys in a twosome, and it's like, and you have to think about it for a second, like, oh, wait, a twosome, what? So that's just them having sex, you know, it's like a, just a weird way way we're to word watching. it. watching, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, and he's like, I love to watch it, and so like, that was, it was really awkward, and I was, and, and we were all like, okay, you know, and, and, it, and it was very weird, and he seemed, uh, there was one time where we were playing with him where he looked like tears were coming down his eyes, it was, it was, it was, it was very odd, and so, anyway, so we have that. And we're all like, kind of like oh, Jesus Christ. And I called him and said, "Hey, we wanna, you know." I said, "Hey, Paul, like, can, can you have a moment where we can call, and talk on the phone?" Call them. We talked on the phone. I told him, like, look, everyone's kind of uncomfortable with the thing. And he was like, and then he kind of cut me off and he was like, "So you're kicking me out of the poker game?" And I was like, "Unfortunately, yeah, that's what we're doing." I'm sorry. Like, I was like, I and I, you know, I, of course, I had these like dreams of like. I would like in the end of in the twilight years of paul schrader's life i would like have like a relationship with him helping write or something with him yeah but so we had this really long conversation then for like like you know almost two hours or something where he's taught we're talking about cancel culture and wokeness and and like what you can and can't say anymore and like how he how you used to be able to flirt with a woman and you can't flirt with her "Mm, that way now or whatever you know he's like how you used to be able to like tell a girl her tits look nice under that sweater or something, but but now you have to say, oh, that sweater looks nice on you, and he, and he would be, and he was like, but isn't the isn't the uh, the uh, insinuation the same? And I was like, well, no, I think you could just tell a girl she looks nice and like the sweater looks nice, and it doesn't have to mean that like the what's underneath makes the sweater look nice or whatever, you know. And so with this whole with this whole back and forth, it got kind of grim. Parker, maybe cut this out, but 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 in the phone call conversation he started to cry he cried on the phone with me and he told me about how his wife uh yeah was just dementia right had dementia and barely knew who he was and that he had this is the part that's bad and parker you should del- you should cut this out of the episode um is that he had <laughs> the black market he was like i have these thoughts where we're gonna go to sleep forever. And I had to like borderline talk Paul Schrader down from. I want it. Can, can we talk about Helen Shaver? I brought yes. her up and I, yes. I have her on
0: no, yes. page up. I, I, I absolutely just, do. I want to discuss her because I, first of all, I did not remember her at all. When I was thinking about the movie and being like, what do I remember from the movie? I remembered the, the, the four people from it. I remembered, Paul Newman, I remember Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, who I think is amazing in the movie. We talk about her too much, and I think the performance is quiet,
1: but fuck is she good. She's terrific. She got a nomination here too, right? The only one who didn't get any any kind of critical or like awards recognition was Tom, which is kind of funny, yeah. And I think, you know, he had the last laugh.
0: Well, yeah, so I'm watching her and I'm like, first of all who the fuck is this because i don't know that i've ever seen her before she's so incredible in it i couldn't remember where i'd seen her and then i'm like then i saw like it was weird i watched um the hustler on sling tv i was looking for i i posted on Litterbox. i could not fucking find it i have all those horrible apps i've got like you know fubo and 2 and sling and voodoo and all that shit to
1: i love but it's on paramount plus that's what that, and which i have and that's how i watched it but but color anyway. money or hustler oh hustler no hustler's not hustler last the last thing that it was on which i watched it on a couple like maybe a month ago was tcm
0: okay so yeah no, yeah. so so we watch color money on Paramount plus, but I was trying to watch the hustler. That was only on sling TV. Yes. Sorry yes. that I wasn't clear about that, but no, um, no, 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 I get it. But, but watching it, it, it came up for an ad and one of the ads out of the blue, out of nowhere was just like showing what they have on sling TV. And one of them was for desert hearts, which Helen shaver, is the star of. And I was like, Oh shit. Great movie. I did not know that she was a star of it. I don't even know who she is. And then you go back and look and you're like, this was Littlefoot's mom in Land Before Time. Like when Littlefoot's mom gets fucked up in Land Before Time 1 by the volcano mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he has to get raised by grandma, right. Ellen Shaver is the voice of the mom. And I'm right. like, wait, fuck. Have I been her fan my entire life? Cause that was like an <laughs> instrumental Sean Malen text. It's uh, like funny. Land Before Time is a big foundational text for me. Um, and I realized like, wait, I didn't realize there was like a stranger in the world who I just love everything I've seen them in. She's so amazing in this film. 90 credits, you know, like a, it's a, a lot, big yeah. IMDb character actor, but like you look at the stuff that, you know, she, like two episodes of the L word, like two episodes of the 4,400, you right. know, uh, movies, poltergeist, the legacy. She was like, the star, you know, like had work was in the craft in 1996 was in the outer limits. TV series right. was, was working, but I, I don't think she's a famous person. And and I no. think that's all the more exciting for how good of a match she is for Newman. Like this idea that she is so not just capable, but like his, his peer in every way and every scene holds, holds herself equally and it's so so great
2: so explain what's happening in this in the movie what's what's that storyline between the two of them because he's he's philandering a little bit but like he's got a couple different side pieces well, he's on the phone with her every all, no, all the time
1: who are his other side pieces it's just
0: her y- yeah I, I don't think it's necessary that he's philandering i think it's that he's like a, a bit of a like a a Lothario, that he he's on the road and on his circuit as a liquor salesman, he fucks her whenever he's in town. So it, their, their relationship is transactional, but there's feelings there for real. And so when he stays in town to mentor Vincent, he sees her more. And over the course of seeing her more, she starts to make emotional demands of him like well how about you know you stay for dinner how about we go out and have a normal date and how about we don't just like go into the room and fuck and you know i've seen that role a million times but there's something about her demonstrativeness and her intensity with him that feels so um rich
1: i i do think she's really great in it but I will say I think it's still probably one of the more like one of the underserved aspects of the movie I think a little bit because I think we don't really get that much time with her and then she just kind of and then she just kind of shows up at the end as if she's like
2: that most feels like the sequel aspect to the hustler like him finding conclusion that way.
1: Right, right, right.
2: I uh picking the hustler, I think the Piper Laurie storyline, while I was a little bit annoyed at first, I was like, no, nah, I wanna see Pool. What are you doing with a lady? I did think I was like, wow, I've you doing long.
0: with a lady. I
1: like the, well, the <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Uh but I was also like, wow, this is like um this is actually my kind of lady. Like she's like in, like, you know, in, She's insane. like an
1: alcoholic <laughs> who wants to kill herself. <laughs> <That's suicidal. laughs>
2: Oh, very interesting. You mentioned earlier you compared him to Matt Damon. He's playing Leslie Groves in *Fat Man and Little Boy*.
1: I don't. I don't understand. What's the connection to Damon? And Matt Damon is
2: playing that character in *Oppenheimer*. They play the same. Oh, they play the same
1: guy. that is funny. Okay, so wow. good. I'm on to. I'm on to something. I'm on to I something. I didn't re- make that connection. I mean, you know, I did. You did either of you watch that? Um, the ethan hawk hbo thing the the last movie stars or whatever no about him and um, joanne. yeah him and joanne woodward and i i have not watched it either i need to watch it i mean honestly when we were starting this podcast i sort of wanted to call it the last movie star but obviously that already exists it with confuses that confuses
0: things with yeah. that newman
1: thing and 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 i mean but i do think in a lot of ways tom cruise is now has now be, truly become i think the last the last kind of movie star we haven't
2: the fact that we haven't had any competing pool movies really since this obviously i think like other vice the other gambling games like was always poker shit coming out and stuff but this is like sort of who would want to go and try and come up with the new shots who's gonna go try to figure out how to how else to shoot a pool scene
1: I was thinking about that in terms of just the like the idea that the safties were ever floating or like that was ever floated around as an idea of like the safties. Is that, that you? I think fantasy? kind of. No,
2: I think it is a real they were thing. A I think a forty-eight hour remake or a sequel. They or were. Anything. I don't
1: know, but but like like whatever. Some new filmmaker taking on the the next generation and like Tom Cruise is now in the sort of Newman role or whatever, and like you get Robert Pattinson or something. And I I was just thinking like, but what do you do formally? To like, right? It's a little bit like making a sequel to
2: The Shining. It's like, why would you do this to yourself?
0: I tweeted something about this, and and I said, if you want to make three hundred and fifty million dollars right now, knowing how successful the films that he's making that are like sequels to beloved properties and coming a long time later, you would make a Color Money sequel with him, like a young protege, and he would take on the Newman role of, and it would him, it would be his first like gray hair acting his age role since collateral and in collateral, he's actually like aged up with the gray hair, but like, yeah, yeah. he would, if he would be smart, this movie would make tons of money. It would be directed by someone who has a very different, just like Scorsese is so different than Robert Rawson who did Hustler. You would get someone who has a much more distinctive style. The Safdies are a good, are a good option because they do that sort of like, aggressive tense grit like that would be a perfect fit but i could also yeah. see it being like um well, you could even you could even get like sofia coppola to do an incredible job like a studied elegant suave job of a film like this and you would get tom cruise doing the old man thing for the first time ever in a franchise that he knows works two hugely successful films yeah. and he would get the Color of Money Oscar, they would start prognosticating it as soon as it was announced that he was cast because yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what the other two films did.
2: He's never, he's never handed the torch to anybody else. He's he, that happened almost in Ghost Protocol. He refused to do it. You know, Top Gun Maverick was kind of a tease of that. He didn't do it. But honestly, at the end of Color of Money, he doesn't really hand off the torch there either. It's like Paul Newman's back at the oh, end. Newman, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He doesn't Which have to kinda... lose. He could do this film and like not lose. He no, could right. win. He could, he oh, could do yeah. like
0: what Dwayne Johnson does, like where he refuses, you know, it's in his contract that he can only be punched like four times, right. or he can only be like knocked down for five seconds. You know, I don't think you could have a
1: movie where he loses or dies or whatever. And But it would have to be a lot grimier, I think, and sadder. Yeah,
0: agreed. And, yeah. and it would work for him. Yeah.
1: And again, to me, it's a sure thing
0: financially. Like I can't see why that movie wouldn't be...
2: Who would the boy be? Miles Taylor?
0: I think Glenn Powell would be good in like an arrogant kind of know-it-all role, but he might also be a little bit too old and a little bit too like hot. Who's is the Robert guy?
1: is Robert Pattinson too old? I mean, I think when the, when I talked about it with, when I with the Safties, it's like Tom Cruise Safties, Robert Pattinson, which maybe that's just too whatever cut and dry of like he's worked with the safties before. I don't know. But
2: who did you ask about Parker? The uh, Malcolm Butler is that his name? Elvis guy, Elvis guy.
1: Oh, Austin Butler. Austin Butler. Great, great option. A great option. Yeah.
2: Maybe two visually alike to Tom. But I I don't know. I mean,
0: I just think... Tom, when you're, when you start obsessively listening to these, I'm trying to help you make money, dude, 350 mil, make it for fucking nothing. It's you and a young guy and you're going to the pool, pool halls. They're all completely collapsed now, but there's still a little underworld of like going to millionaires houses, doing that shit that you see in the original hustler. There's still money to be made.
2: You don't have to defy death. You can just go to a basement somewhere. Like this is, this is an easy one right the margins would be much bigger i'm telling you dude I,
1: but the thing is he's got to do that at some point right like there's a there's a point where he cannot do the stunts Mission anymore he's, Impossible
2: just bombed more or less he's it should be now if he was smart
0: he's so addicted to the the botox and the fucking you know teeth whitening sessions and all of that shit wait he's never he's never had botox
1: dude what are you talking about
0: Steven, talk, talk about Steven gloves, Come on, look at his face, man. Doesn't work <laughs> it like that. Right. Haven't you ever met a sixty-one-year-old? They <laughs> <laughs> don't Thanks, look man. like that. I don't know. I just think, I think that he is overdue for. A re- this movie reminded me, in conclusion, that he is so adept at those prestige roles that he he really is. I realize you guys haven't gotten to Magnolia yet or even born on the 4th of July, but like he is capable of imp- of inserting himself into a milieu that is all about like Oscar's glory. He knows exactly what that looks like. He understands that world as well as he understands action films. He's making his choices very specifically. He knows yeah. who the auteur are, who can get him where he wants to go. And if he, was willing to step aside from the ego or if the ego hit from dead reckoning part one was strong enough, he will not exclusively work with Christopher Macquarie. He'll move on to somebody else of interest. Uh,
2: Thank you, Sean. Um... Thanks, Sean.
1: Pleasure to have you here. All right. I'm going to bed. Alright, guys. That was our first ever guest. Thank you so much to Sean Malin for coming on. It was a great time. We got, we got, uh, a lot of insight and we got very philosophical and Sean and I really had some amazing points. Um, but, and sh- sh- Sean and I specifically really just had a lot of great things to say and, and Parker, was fun too
2: and um, I knew that would happen I knew like we've on a guess I'm going to fucking sit here and watch but go ahead
1: you had some good you had good points did I so next week we're going to be talking about cocktail which I've never seen has Parker have you seen it no I'm excited to talk about that hopefully we're each going to have our own little special cocktail that's going to be fun we'll get we're going to get so wasted it's, it's going to be like no other episode we've ever done Where we're going to be so wasted and drunk tom thank you as always for listening to our other listeners um you know we don't need you but we like to have you so please you know follow us on all so all this all of our social media we're at um uh we made it for tom on all of our social media the podcast is of course we made it for you a podcast about tom cruise we made it for tom at gmail.com email us with the questions comments concerns tell us we suck tell us we rock we love to hear it thank you to sam robinson our producer, Trevor Dowdy, for our music. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much. This is one of the great joys of my life, doing this podcast with my friend Parker. Parker Smith, my co Some of the other joys of my life, poontang, um, beer, uh, which I'm giving up to lose weight. I'm going to lose 400 pounds in two months. Uh, <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for joining us. We're going to talk about cocktail. We love you, Tom, we love you, Parker, I love you, Mom, Dad, I love you, God, I love you, bye-bye.